Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we talk marriage and sex all the time, and we'd like to take all of the bad teachings that can wreck it and strip them all away so we get to what marriage, the way God intended, really is. And I am here with my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. Who is my co-author on The Great Sex Rescue, which is a great book. It's doing really well. We covet your... uh, That's such a Christian thing to say, eh? We We covet covet your prayers. We covet your... We prayers, but especially your, your Amazon reviews yes. and Amazon ratings. That helps us so much. And we have just started a Patreon. I'll just get all the fun stuff out of the way first. Yeah, sounds good. And you can help support us as we try to get our research published in academic peer-reviewed journals and try to get on more social media platforms. The money will not go to support this podcast or the blog because that's already fully funded, but mm-hmm. just help us get into new avenues so that people can hear more of the good stuff about marriage, which is what we're all about. Exactly. So we had some fun this week on the blog. Your husband, Connor, actually did some weird research for me. Oh, I know. Trust me, I know. I live in the house with him. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) About eight weird things about sex in Roman times. So we're in a new series on sex throughout the ages. And that was actually really interesting because I think the more we understand about Roman times, the more we can have more insight into what the Bible passages really mean. Yes, because we're reading it with the understanding of what was normal for yeah. these people who are who are listening to what Paul was saying or what Peter was saying. Or... Yeah. And so it makes it makes 1 Corinthians 7, the do not deprive verses, actually quite revolutionary. Yeah. Um, we often use them as weapons against wives, telling wives you're not allowed to refuse sex. But as we looked at in the blog this week, that's not really what Paul meant. And so I encourage you to check out tolovehonoredvacuum.com for some great posts. Next week, we're going to be looking at weird things about the Victorian age. And I will say that one has gotten a lot of hook. Rebecca, listen to this from Connor. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so so come on and check that out. Um, but on the podcast, we're not going to be looking at that series quite so much. We have a bunch of other questions that we want to yes. explore, and one of them this came from a listener and a reader mm-hmm. who has read the Great Sex Rescue. Why don't you hold up the Great Sex Rescue and I show will. it to people? I will show people the, the beautiful book, The Great Sex Rescue. Yep, which you really do need to read. Someone said this week it is the Christian sex book of all Christian sex books. Mm-hmm. Mm. where we deconstruct everything. And she said, you know, she had read it and now she has to go give a youth group talk. Mm-hmm. And she wants to bring in the information that we have so that she can counteract some of the negative messages in, in the youth group. Yes. But she wanted to make sure she was covering the right stuff. So she told us four points that she was covering and she was asking if she should add anything. And I thought it might be fun in this podcast to dedicate it towards how do you talk to your teens about mm-hmm. what healthy sex looks like? Yeah. How do we talk to the next generation so that they don't grow up with the same issues that, you know their parents did. Mm-hmm. What would you say to teenagers when it came to spreading the message about what we've discovered in our research? What, what are some really important things teens need to hear? It's not just don't have sex and then have sex when you're married. Yeah. Our idea of what we tell teenagers about sex and sexuality needs to be so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Because what we found in our research is that just because you're married does not mean sex is going to feel good. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that sex is going to be like good like yes. and, and I mean morally good for that yes um yeah. you can have terrible dehumanizing objectifying sex in marriage and it isn't sudden, suddenly a good thing simply because you have a wedding ring on right what I'm hoping that the next generation grows up in, and that's including my kids mm-hmm. is this idea of living a chaste lifestyle your entire life 
Yes. And that's something big I've always said is we say so much, stay pure until you're married. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things wrong with that statement. Stay pure until you're married. The first thing is if you say until you're married, it it implies that once you're married, you're no longer pure. Exactly. Or or that you don't have to be pure anymore. Like, oh, I'm married. Now I don't have to be pure anymore. Yeah. And it defines purity as virginity. Yeah. Or your, or what you do sexually. Right. Too, right. Cause it's, even if it's not just virginity, we've had so many women who I've talked to in our focus groups too, who have said things like, you know, they had sex, but anytime they did anything other than like basic missionary sex, they felt so guilty because they were like, well, was yeah. that okay? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I think we need to get out of this idea of like what you do is what makes you pure or not. And mm-hmm. more talk, but what's the context? Mm-hmm. It is wrong for a 27-year-old to drive a car if they don't have a license and they are intoxicated. Right. It is not wrong for all 27-year-olds to drive cars, right? If they have mm-hmm. a license and they're sober, yeah. great, go for it. And I yeah. think when we talk about sex, when you talk about it in a, in a sense of what does chastity look like when you're a teenager? Mm-hmm. What does chastity look like when you're, you know, engaged? Yeah, chastity does- is a weird word because we tend to think chaste means not having sex. But yeah. chaste doesn't mean that. What chaste means is having a biblical view of sex. Yeah, like a healthy sexuality. A healthy sexuality. And so you can have rip-roaring sex when you're <laughs> married and still be chaste. Exactly. And that's what I hope we can kind of shift more towards is getting out of this idea of sex being about what you can and cannot do and more about being who are you honoring and how are you treating those around you. Because mm-hmm. I think, frankly, we're going to end up in the same place, yeah. likely, or at least a very, very similar one. Yeah. But it won't be as much of a focus of just hold back men until you get married, then you never have to hold back again. No, not yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah. You and, know? and I think, too, what I would want to say to teens is far less about how premarital sex is a sin mm-hmm. and far more about wisdom. Yeah, wisdom and, and also honoring, the impact that yeah, you can have on others. the other person's dignity and personhood and everything. Because one of the interesting things we found is that there is absolutely no talk about consent. No. Anywhere in the Christian world. Like, in all of the marriage books we looked at, there was not a... a in the evangelical marriage books we looked at, there was not a robust discussion of consent. There, were, It was certainly implied in Boundaries in Marriage yeah. and in The Gift of Sex and in some of the other books. But there wasn't this robust discussion of what does coercion look like in the bedroom? How do you know they're, they're really mm-hmm. consenting? Because the idea is, well, once you're married, it's automatically consenting. Yeah, you have a wedding ring. That's your consent, right? Yeah, and a lot of our books actually really downplayed marital rape, which yeah. is a huge issue. Um, and, and the thing is, I remember I grew up as a teenager reading evangelical resources. And of course you get the throwaway lines of no one should ever make you do anything you don't want to do. Like, you know, if you're ever forced to do something that's not your fault, you know, Mm -hmm. God's not angry, but there was never the discussion on what does more gray areas of consent look like, right? Mm -hmm. What does coercion look like? What happens if you were pressured into something and you said yes, but it was after 17 no's, right? Right. There was none of that discussion. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we're really missing is in our in our fear that kids are going to have sex. Like if we talk about consent, then we're we're going to give kids the idea that they can have sex in some situations, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't talk about consent because then kids might actually get consent and have sex, right? Right. And I think right. we need to actually ask, what's our goal? Mm-hmm. Is our goal to have a bunch of kids who are either virgins or are going into sex not understanding power differentials? 
Mm-hmm. Or would we rather have kids who are sexually respectful of each other, even if some of them decide to have sex? Yeah. Right? Like what's more important, virginity or protecting the vulnerable? Yeah. And we have to wrestle with that. Yeah. Because right now we have chosen the message of virginity over the message of you need to have enough sexual education and understanding to know what victimization and rape actually looks like because it doesn't always look like how it's portrayed in Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Right. And one of the things that the woman was saying that she, that she, one of her points was bringing up Shanti Feldon's research mm-hmm. for, for young women only, which we did talk about in the book and we've also talked about in other podcasts. And I will try to remember to link to that other podcast yeah. um, here because it's an important one. But she had this survey question that she shared in For Young Women Only where her conclusion was that 82% of boys feel little responsibility and have little ability to stop in a makeout situation. So if you don't want to go all the way, it's better to not even start. And she says that it's better to not even start. In the same chapter, she even says the guys need you to help them stop. Right. And I I will say we do know multiple women who experienced assault Mm -hmm. where this kind of teaching and this mentality was then said directly back to them. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't realize they had been a victim of date rape because they felt like, you know, he's, he's past the point of no return and it was my fault for letting him get that way. And that was one of the negative teachings that we found in the great sex rescue is that when girls believe boys will push your sexual boundaries, Mm -hmm. that has really negative repercussions for sex once you're married. If you believe that when you're teens and and a lot of people may say, yeah, but we need to tell our girls that boys that boys will push the boundaries. But no, what we need to tell our, our teens is this. This is, the, this is how I would say it. Mm-hmm. You need to know your own sexual boundaries mm-hmm. and you are responsible for keeping those. Mm-hmm. No one else is responsible for keeping those. And you need to honor the boundaries of the person that you are with. Yeah. And if someone ever tries to pressure you mm-hmm. to go over your boundaries, that is a red flag that the relationship is not safe. Yeah, they are not a safe person. Yeah, and that's what we need to tell because basically what we've told girls is that it is normal for boys to try to yeah. go over their boundaries. Yeah, and, and so- we need those those particular messages because right now boys have not been told it's your job to stay pure. Yes. Boys have been told, make sure girls around you are dressing modestly. Make sure you date a modest girl so that you aren't mm-hmm. too tempted. Make sure that like, you know, she is someone who is strong in her face so that she can help you stay pure. Mm-hmm. These are all things that I like... We read these in Brio Magazine. We read it in Shanti Feldon's books. Like, this is what teenage girls are reading. They're reading that they, boys need you to help keep them pure. Mm-hmm. And if we just tell both sexes, hey, if you have boundaries, stick to them, regardless of if someone else asks you if you want to have sex. But if they're pressuring you to have sex, leave. Yep. Get out. That's you know, not... call your mom, call your dad. Call anyone, yell for an adult nearby, do whatever you need to do, but get out because that is not your, you can't do anything that will force someone to pressure you into having sex. Yeah, that's not on you. And this is an important podcast, by the way. So if any of your teenagers are not listening, why don't you just go get them (laughs) and bring them here so they can hear this too, because this this is good stuff here. But yeah, teens need to understand that if someone tries to to go over your boundaries, that is not on you. No. But also it's a red flag, because I I don't think we've taught teenagers how to expect healthy behavior from the person they're with. When they're reading books, like For Young Women Only, that says boys have little ability and feel little responsibility to stop the sexual um, progression once a makeup session is happening, then is a girl going to see him pressuring her for sexual favors as a red flag or as a, oh, well, he's just a guy. Yeah. And the other problem with this messaging 
is that it assumes it's always the guy pressuring the girl. <laughs> yeah, that's not always the case. And you know, there's a lot of girls who will try to go past guys' boundaries too, and mm-hmm. will push will push guys. And well, and not only that, then you have these boys who have been also reading their whole lives that you're going to want sex in a way that girls don't understand. And then you know they have a girlfriend who really wants sex, and a lot of guys start questioning, "Am I even like?" gosh, do I have something wrong with me? Like, yeah. Why is it so easy for me to stick to my boundaries? Am I not really male? Yeah. And and I think that there's a lot of that going on. We just need to stop with all this gendered garbage when it mm-hmm. comes to teaching teens about sex, because we need to just give the good, healthy principles that are in essence, respect each other, respect yourself, put the well-being of the other person at the forefront of your mind. You know, it's not about whether or not you're getting what you want sexually. It is about your boundaries, but that's not the same thing as what you want sexually, right? Like, we all understand yeah. the difference of what I'm talking about here. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> if you want to go farther with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and they clearly don't, then we need to have raised kids with a sexual ethic that makes them think, okay, I need to really back off now. Yeah. That's just what I hope we can see more of. And I think that if we talk about sex in less gendered terms... Mm-hmm. And we talk about it more just in general principles. Because does it matter if we talk about it in gendered terms? If both people are being told, if anyone pressures you, that's a red flag, get out. Mm-hmm. Does it matter that we don't say, and by the way, boys are probably more likely to pressure girls and girls are more likely to pressure boys? Because we don't actually know. Yeah, has that ever been, like, we, we haven't studied that. Well, the other <laughs> thing too is that what, even if it is true for the for the general population, what happens if you have a boy who's dating a girl who's really sexually raring to go? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, then does it help him to hear the gender difference? Be like, well, it's always boys on, like, pressuring girls. No, it doesn't. But yeah. are the girls har- who are in relationships with boys who are pressuring them harmed by hearing no matter who you are if you're being pressured get out yeah no they're not yeah and so if we just cut away all this gendered mm-hmm. crap mm-hmm. and just talk about what do what should sex actually look like regardless of who you are yeah i just don't even see why this would be a problem yeah exactly and i will say in the groups that are talking about consent you know the groups that are really focused on sexual health they don't talk about it in gender terms no You know, it's only in like this kind of purity, abstinence only kind of culture where everything is gendered because it's about kind of making you us versus them. Mm -hmm. So that it's like that's scary. Yeah. Right. And that's not helpful. And fear and scare tactics are never a good way to get someone to stop trying to do something because frankly, we are sexual beings. And so let's give them the whole story. Let's tell them everything they need to know so they can make an actual informed decision. Say, no, this is why I don't want to have sex. Yeah. Yeah. Not because it's this big taboo unknown, but like, no, I actually have the information and I know this is not wise for me right now. Exactly. Yeah. And because the other problem is that when we give scare tactics and that God says it's wrong to have sex before you're married, it's as if God said it is wrong to wear pink. Yes. Like it's just an arbitrary rule and it doesn't, it, there's no meaning behind it except that God will be angry. So then you wear every color except pink. Like yes. you see how close to pink you can get. Yes. It's not pink, it's fuchsia. Yeah. It's purple. It's, <laughs> it's lavender. It's ro- dusty rose. Yes, but it's not pink. And we wouldn't, if we, if we understood the why behind it, then we wouldn't be so concerned about like how close to the line can I get? Because it's not as legalistic. It's about wisdom. And so I think it's so important to tell kids the why you're supposed to wait. Um, Another thing about fear tactics, another area that we use it a lot with teenagers is with porn. Yeah. 
You know? And it so backfires. You know, yeah. how many times have we have you heard, you know, a youth leader telling boys, like, you know what? Porn is everywhere. No matter where you look, you're going to see gonna pornography. You're going to find it. It's <laughs> going to follow you no matter where you are. And you're a guy and you were created to be visual. And so this is just going to be your battle for the rest of your life. And so it starts yeah. now, buddy. And it's all downhill from here because yeah. there's no escaping. It is everywhere. No matter how hard we try, we can't get all of the women to cover up their boobs. And yeah. so you will always suffer and you will always struggle. And this is part yeah. of being an honorable Christian man. Yeah. And I'll tell you <laughs> that, you know what, you know what that does is all the boys sitting in the back row are now going, oh, well, let me see if I can find porn. Like, <laughs> it's just everywhere. And, and the other thing that we've done is we've told all our teenage boys, all boys struggle with this. Yes. You know, all boys lust. It's every man's battle. It's every young man's battle. Yeah. It's everywhere. And so if you're a guy who actually respects women, you feel like a freak. You feel like a freak. You feel like I must not be male. Yeah. And we've talked to some boys who have started watching porn because of the messages they got in youth group. Yeah. Because they were just so worried about, you know, what does it say about my sexuality? What does it say about who, about like my masculinity? What does it say? And it's like, no. They were just guys who weren't tempted by pornography. There's no reason to put that in their head. Yeah. And so when we talk about porn, we need to do a much more nuanced conversation. You know, porn is a temptation to many people, Mm -hmm. but not to everybody. And it's a temptation to to girls as well as boys. Mm -hmm. It's something which really distorts people's view of sex, distorts people's view of the other gender, distorts people's view of themselves, but also it's a big contributor to sex trafficking. And let me tell you, Gen Z and teenagers are really big on justice. Yeah. They are really big on justice. And yep. so if you use the sex trafficking <laughs> angle to teens, I think that's, and honestly, I, I actually true. think that's one it's of the most true. important things we can talk I was about. Say, it's not even like you're using a tactic. No, it's, it's just like, telling, it's again, it's telling them the whole story. Yeah. And that should be the first thing. In fact, in, in my books, I think that's always the first thing I mention about porn now, you know, and that's a, that's a, that's a way that I've begun talking about it in a different way in the last few years is I always mention the sex trafficking thing first. Because you're, you're actually hurting real people. And I think the more that we can talk about that with our teenagers, the more we empower them to say no and to stay away from it. Well, and I think that it, it just comes back to the exact same thing as before, right? We, we should never be afraid of telling people the truth. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if we just give kids the truth, which is that, you know what? Boys and girls watch porn. Yeah. More and more girls are watching porn. And so it's getting less and less necessary or important or even valid to talk about it like it's a boy's issue. Yeah. The rates of teenage girls watching pornography is just rising dramatically. Yeah. And this is not a gendered issue as much as a internet issue. Yeah. And if we start talking about these things in a way where we actually have conversations, because remember, we're talking about teenagers here. They yeah. are dealing with real stuff already. Yeah. Like if you haven't talked to your 16 year old about porn, they already know what it is. Yes. Like they yeah. already know. Yeah. They just have heard from someone other than you mm-hmm. or seen, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that's something we need to recognize as parents mm-hmm. is that, you know, there are things that you don't need to know everything your whole life, right? Yeah. You know, you. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, my kids don't know about the realities of the horrible parts of the world for a long time. My son is 18 months for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. At some point, we have to accept that the goal of our life as as parents is not to shelter our kids until after it's too late. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. our goal as parents is to teach kids how to live well in a complicated, messy, and broken world. And they kind of have to know their battleground if they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never really sheltered us with a lot of stuff growing up. 
No. You know, we talked about everything and it was fine. But you know what it also meant is it meant that, you know, when I knew there are bad things going on, we also knew what to do. Mm-hmm. When I heard about people in danger, we knew what to do. Yeah, and you came to me. And and that's just that's just what, what I think a lot of parents aren't equipping their kids to do by just talking about it in terms of like boys are always going to be tempted by porn, so just don't watch it. And by the way, girls, be careful because boys are always going to want to push your sexual boundaries and make sure you don't have sex until you're married or else you'll be a used up tissue paper. Yeah, why don't we talk to our teenagers about the fact that, you know, Right now in churches, they're told if you have sex before you're married, it's going to be terrible, but they're at high school and their friends had awesome sex last night. Yes. And let's talk to our kids about it. Yeah. And let's be like, yeah, you know what? Whether or not sex feels good is not the metric of whether or not it should be had. Yes. Right? And I think that that's much more important in a more nuanced conversation because we need to talk about Again, the respect, the dignity, and the humanity of the other and Mm -hmm. of yourself and how to best serve God with every part of you, including your sex life, even when you're 15, you know, because when Mm -hmm. you're 15, it's likely not having one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and for very, very good reasons, which you need to go into and explain, you know, why God wants you to wait. Yeah. But another issue is, so, so we're telling our kids that it is wise to wait Mm -hmm. and we're telling our kids that, you know, porn may be alluring, but it, it, it isn't something which everyone gets into. You can fight against it. It is a justice issue, et cetera, et cetera. But the real issue that a lot of kids are facing is they are having these sexual feelings. Oh, totally. And what's, I think one of the really big issues that we need to help kids understand is that sexual feelings and sexual attraction are not sins. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of people are, and a lot of kids are feeling a lot of shame for things which they should not be feeling shame for. Mm-hmm. And especially around the lust conversation in the youth so. group, we are adding a layer of shame that was never meant to be there. And I think that there's a lot of guys, especially who are walking through life, thinking that they're lusting every time they notice that a girl has boobs. Mm-hmm. And Jesus did not say that whoever notices a woman has a nice figure has lusted after her. He said, whoever looks at a woman, so that's a deliberate action, with lust in his heart, and that's a deliberate mindset. So you have to have a deliberate action and a deliberate mindset to count as lust. Yeah, and I think that when we are able to talk about sex more openly with our kids, or within youth group settings, or wherever you are talking to teenagers, right? We can have these conversations where we can say, hey, you're a sexual being. And we said mm-hmm. it to both boys and girls, by the way. Yes. You, know, you are a sexual being. You're gonna have sexual feelings. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You are not a gross person for having sexual feelings. Mm-hmm. Even if some of your sexual feelings are very, very weird right now, you are very hormonal and yeah. your body is trying to figure out this whole sexual attraction thing and your brain is going to do a lot of weird things over the next few years. You know, yeah. let's just acknowledge it. Okay. Yeah. 15, 16, 17 year olds have a lot of weird stuff going on in their heads because their brains are trying to sort out what it means to be sexual mm-hmm. and it'll get sorted out. You'll yes. be okay. Yes. Just recognize that this is part of how you were made and this isn't you being broken or gross. This yeah. is just uncomfortable for a while, <laughs> you know, and it's awkward and everyone goes through it mm-hmm. and you do come out the other side. Mm-hmm. And with these sexual feelings that we're talking about, okay, so everyone's everyone's got these sexual feelings, your brain's doing all these weird things, boys have them as well as girls, mm-hmm. but the key thing in the midst of all this, the one thing that you want your kids to learn is how even in the midst of all these feelings, they can still treat other people 
Yes. As whole people made in the image of God. Yep. If you're feeling ashamed and and kind of grossed out at yourself for the kinds of things that you're thinking about the people around you, it's not their fault for being attractive. It's not like they're doing it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, even if someone's wearing something you think is immodest, they are not doing this to you. And if someone is genuinely mm-hmm. trying to seduce you when you yeah. are a teenager, right? Because there are teenagers out there who are really... Yes. Bro- who, are, who are just like... They're really hurting. Yeah, yeah. And they're seeking affirmation in this way. And I think it's fair to warn your kids and say, hey, if someone is genuinely trying to get you to go past what you're comfortable with or is trying to elicit, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. less, and this is not, and you can't do it by just wearing something. Yeah. Because remember, trends. But, yeah. like, if someone is genuinely trying to hurt you in that way because they're not respecting your boundaries, they're trying to incite up lust in you, That's something that you can separate yourself from that person, but you don't get to stop treating them like a person and you don't get to just blanket statement, do that for the entire opposite gender Mm -hmm. or whole groups of people who you see as threats. Right. And that's what's so important is that we understand that other people are not threats to us. And when you lust after someone, it isn't because they are dangerous to you. It's because you've become dangerous to them. (laughs) And we need to own that. Okay, now I'm not saying we need to shame people for it. You know, we can tell people that there's freedom in Christ. There's always forgiveness. You can learn to treat people as whole people. But it's really important that we don't allow people to dehumanize others. Yeah, we just need to, we need the impulse when we experience something like lustful thinking to be, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Not how could she yeah, or how could he? Or how could he, right? It's just yeah. normally it's, it's it's right now yeah. the every man's battle is a whole thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's women joggers who are the enemy, right? Right. So I think that's that's what we need the the difference to be in our in our churches is when we have these sinful thoughts about another image bearer of Christ, we think to ourselves, you know, ah, I've crossed a line. Mm-hmm. Not she crossed the line with what she wore. Yes. Or something like that. And I think that's just the conversation that we need to have. Or it's, it's not like you're not a t- you're not all of a sudden a predator. Yeah. You're really not. Yeah. You just cross the line and you're just going to back up. Yep. You're going to reevaluate and you're just not going to go that and way again. I remember a conversation you and I were having when we took a walk with the baby a while ago where you said that a nice phrase to teach kids is just simply not for me. Yeah. Not for me. You know, so when you start to have those feelings about someone, you just tell yourself, okay, hold on a second. He's not for me or yeah. she's not for me. And then yeah. you just back up. Like in your yeah. mind, you just take that step back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this isn't for me. And so my mind doesn't have a right to go there. Yep, exactly. And, you know, and if we teach our kids to do that, rather than a lot of shaming messages about sexual feelings, I think that's a much healthier approach to take. Yep. And obviously there's so much more we could say on this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we are hoping to be able to write more about how we can help the next generation and yep, stuff. That's but another book that's coming out, yep. actually. The second book in the Great Sex Rescue series. Yeah, we're writing mothered... it specifically for, for mothers and older daughters. Yeah. It's going to be really great and freeing for a lot of people, I hope. Yes. Um, but that's, I mean, what we wanted to say for now, anyway. Yeah. Okay, and now we have a new research segment. Yes. Yes, uh, where we want to talk about some research. This isn't necessarily 
too new. I think this is from a article. Yeah, it's ten uh, years old. Ten years old, but I thought it was it was the, it was a good article that I found. It's ten years old, but it's still going to be groundbreaking for a lot of evangelical authors. Yes. So, <laughs> so and this is from um, this is from the Archives of Pediatric Adolescent Medicine. Part yeah. of the Journal of American Medical Association journals. So this and, is this is a good journal. Is yes. What we're saying. And so they were looking at the prevalence, frequency, and associations of masturbation with partnered sexual behaviors among U.S. adolescents. Yes. And what I really want to focus on is the prevalence of masturbation among adolescents that they found, because mm-hmm. I think this is really important for parents and youth workers to understand. Yeah. So do you want to read it? Sure. We will comment. Across age groups, more males, 73.8% exactly, reported masturbation than females, which was 48.1%. Among males, masturbation occurrence increased with age. At age 14 years, 62.6% of males reported at least one prior occurrence, whereas 80% of 17-year-old males reported ever having masturbated. Recent masturbation also increased with age in males. 67.6% of 17-year-olds reported masturbation in the last month, compared with only 42.9% of 14-year-olds. In females, prior masturbation increased with age, 58% at 17 years compared to 43.3% at age 14 years, but recent masturbation did not. Masturbation was associated with numerous partnered sexual behaviors in both males and females. In males, masturbation was associated with condom use, but in females, it was not. Okay, so the big thing that I want us to take from this is that both guys and girls masturbate in large numbers. We couldn't, I couldn't believe when I was looking at the different evangelical sex and marriage bestsellers for our book, Mm -hmm. The Great Sex Rescue, how many of them said, you know, men often enter marriage far more aware of sex and with a greater understanding of sex because they masturbated, whereas girls did not. And like we saw this in a number of books. Um, I think, you know what, I better not name them because I might get them wrong, but I know that a number of our bestsellers talked about that, how boys masturbate. I know in the Every Man's Battle series it talked about that, yeah. how boys masturbate and girls don't. And and here's the thing. I mean, this even said that by 17 years of age, um, 58% of females had masturbated at one point. So by age 17, odds are girls masturbated. Yeah. Odds are. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, more boys do than girls. Yep, and it seems more frequently as well. But it's not like it's 100% of boys no. have and 0% of girls have. It's really not. No, it is, by the time they're 17, 80% of boys have masturbated and 58% of girls have. Yeah. That's actually not that huge difference. Like, it is It is pretty big. Yeah, but it's not like it's, it's boys do this and girls no, do this. It's not something where you can say this is definitely a thing that boys do and girls don't. Not at all. No, and so when we talk about boys as having a sex drive and girls as not having a sex drive yeah. and boys as having explored more sexually and girls as not, that's just not the way it is. Now, boys do tend to masturbate more frequently mm-hmm. and it looks like girls often tend to masturbate a little bit younger in general, like the... Yeah, anyway. I think that might also be because girls tend to reach sexual maturity faster. So uh, yeah, I haven't looked into the research, yeah. so I don't know. Um, uh, you know, we hit puberty about two years earlier, so it makes more sense, like in terms of sexual exploration. But <laughs> you know, the point is, this is not a gendered thing. No. And when we're talking to youth groups, when we're talking to our teenagers, we need to stop thinking about it as a gendered thing. Just because more boys do something than girls does not mean that we should talk about it like a male thing. Yeah, exactly. And and we need to recognize that when we do talk about it like it's a male thing, then the girls who are in the who are listening. Mm-hmm. who are also doing this may feel additional shame yeah. or may feel really gross about themselves, yeah. even though, you know, 
Odds are, look around the room, half of your buddies are doing it too. Yeah. Odds and, are. And when we talk about masturbation with teenagers, we need to, we need to really have a nuanced conversation yeah. with this too. We do not want to add shame. It is a normal thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what, 80% of guys, almost 60% of girls, like most kids are going to go through this. Most kids are going to experience this. Most kids are going to explore. We need to have a nuanced conversation about this and not make it a shame-based thing because I think kids, this is this is really key when we're talking to teenagers, is kids have the right to decide for themselves. Yeah, and, and remember, should... we're not talking about like a child here. Yeah. We're talking about teenagers who are starting to get more independence and who are on their way to becoming adults. Yeah. Right. We, you cannot control your teens. What you can do is try to keep those lines of communication as open as possible. Mm-hmm. And you can talk honestly about how to handle temptation and how, you know what, if you fall in an area, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that matters more than anything else is how you treat other people. Yeah. And I think we tend to see sex as like this, this sin, which mars us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but remember that what Jesus is often most concerned about is how we treat others. And so in our sexuality with teenagers, I think the most important message we can give is don't dehumanize others, honor other people's boundaries, mm-hmm. treat them well, treat them as whole people made in the image of God. And that should be part of our thought life as well. Yeah. And if that's the message we're giving kids, I think they're going to be able to make the right decisions in these areas. I hope so. Well, that's, it's just such a, it's a more Christ-centered message than simply don't do it until you can and then don't stop doing it. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, I just don't really see how that's a healthy perspective. Yeah. 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 It's like be wise and treat others well and treat others with dignity. If that's more the message we're giving our kids, I think we will raise a far healthier generation Mm -hmm. in the next generation that's coming up. And I have brought my husband Keith onto the podcast. Hi, everybody. We are going to do some reader questions, and I like to get experts on for my reader questions. I'm going to be getting more licensed counselors on for some in the future, but you're the expert today because we've <laughs> been talking about teenagers and youth, mm. and so we got some okay. pediatric questions because okay. you are a pediatrician. Pediatrician. So okay, I'll, do, I'll do my best. Let's put Keith on the spot here. So here is a woman who writes. I was committed to open, honest, Christian, early conversations with our kids. And she has two young teenage kids and then one who's younger. Good. So we started early and every couple of years we revisited it with more age appropriate information. Uh, In November, I checked my, her son's viewing history and he's a young teenager as she, as she often does. He was in the room and he started saying, oh no. So I stopped and gave him a chance to tell my husband and I what we were going to see. And he said, I just wanted to know what a clitoris was. And we said, why? Well, you said something about it when we had the talk, so I wanted to see. And then the mom replies, well, I wish you'd ask dad and I, because wandering on the internet gets nasty really fast. Mm -hmm. And then he claimed that he only saw bikini pictures, but as they looked into it, he had seen a lot more. The loss of innocence and that kind of twisted portrayal of intimacy really upset me. So gutted. I wanted it to be different for him. We confronted him with the lying. We told him he's allowed to know the information and we understand curiosity, but he broke the rules for using YouTube and the internet. So there was a consequence. We also said that it's not sinful to feel aroused. Um, That's good that they show that in there. Um, But it is sinful to use other people's private and intimate relationships for your pleasure like voyeurism. Yep. 
And we assured him that God is faithful to forgive when you repent. So we have another chance with our younger child to get it right. Our son has shown the weaknesses in our tech lockdown. You can never <laughs> lock down enough. So the question is, how do you give them information without them having just enough to get into trouble? Is this going to lead to more searching of information? Does that initial exposure to porn doom him to being a user? And how can they have healthy relationships with God and their future spouse? Okay. My first thought is she handled this pretty well. Oh, yeah. That whole time I was thinking, wow, like you guys are just doing such a great job. I know so often that parents are so uncomfortable talking about topics of sexuality with their kids. Uh, And so kids go to the internet because they're looking for the information they're not getting otherwise. But this one's really quite open about that. I think that was really good. And I really liked how she she definitely separated the two issues. There was the issue of, you know, you're on the internet in a way that we have as a family decided is not appropriate. Yep. And you lied to us about it. Yep. Uh, and she separated those two things. And it wasn't all one big mishmash. Like, right. You know, because right. <laughs> in the same way that if a kid does something else that was not sexual, yep. and then they lied about it, you would separate those two things out. So I do think yeah. you need to separate those things out. I thought they handled that really well. I liked also the fact that she said, you are allowed to have that information. Yes. It's really important because this is a nor- this is a teenage boy. He's learning about sexuality. He's feeling all these feelings, you know, for the first time in his life. He's trying to sort it all out. Mm-hmm. And it can be embarrassing to go to your parents and ask for information about that. Yeah. Um, so letting him know, you know, it's okay. This is part of being a human. Uh, yeah. And we're okay with that. We just want you to get the information from a place that's safe. One of the things that might be helpful is to actually ask him, did he see anything on the internet that was disturbing to him? Because that would be a good teaching point to say, like, look, you didn't want to see that. Uh, yeah. And now that image is in your mind and you're going to have to, we're going to have to then talk to him about ways of dealing with unwanted images in your mind. But that can be a springboard to say, like, there's more things you could see that might upset you. We're not saying you can't learn about sexuality. We're yeah. not saying this is a bad thing, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of parents unwittingly sort of put on their kids oh that's bad don't do that yeah and she's not doing that she's saying this is a good thing this is something you should know about but we want to we want you to hear about in a way that's healthy yeah and i like the fact how they were saying that you can't use someone else so they were they were saying part of the problem with porn is that you're actually using those women and that's a bad thing you could talk about sex trafficking and all of that there too so it's not yeah, that, that there actually is a victim. I also- and the other thing I was going to say, too, is that we often think of sexuality and porn as the same thing, whereas uh-huh. Christian, God-given sexuality and porn are diametrically opposed. Sexuality is meant to be something that's mutual, intimate. It's supposed to be all those things you talk about in The Great Sex Rescue. Porn is using another person for your sexual benefit. Uh, yep. That is fundamentally what it's about. And so it's that's we need to see porn as something very different than sex. <laughs> yeah, because I think what parents often think of is my kid's first experience with sex was porn. Yeah. And really, like, they're not the same. They're not, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that your first experience of something that was sexual was this twisted version of sexuality as opposed to the, the wonderful thing it was supposed to be. Yeah. And, and often kids' first experience, you know, with sexual release, with masturbation, et cetera, often yeah. is with pornography, which, you know, is hard to deal with. I understand her saying, like, I feel gutted as a parent because yeah. I didn't want this for my kid. The big thing I would but, say to this one is, is I think you've done everything well. The only thing I would do at this point is I go back when the dust is settled now and everyone's not embarrassed and it's not, yeah. and, and say, first think yourself, but then even maybe ask your kid, what, what was it that made you feel uncomfortable talking me about, to me about this? Why did you not feel you could come to us? Because we've, we've tried to say we're, available for that Mm -hmm. um and then have that kind of discussion because you want him to not be embarrassed you know maybe maybe at this age he feels uncomfortable talking about it with his mom but he'd be more comfortable talking about it with his dad Mm -hmm. you know what are the things you're doing or saying that might be you know 
kind yeah. of cutting cutting down communication because I think that you want to keep those lines open, which this woman has obviously yeah. worked very hard to try to do. But I think that there is this this sense of grief. Like I wanted more for my child. Mm-hmm. I didn't want them to be exposed in this way at this yeah. age. And I understand that. I think though living in the world that we do live in, I think there almost has to be a realization that your child's yeah. going to see some of this at this age. And it doesn't need to have the weight on yes. it that we, we sometimes place on it i think we we need like every other sin every other bad thing we need to say okay that's not from the kingdom of god yeah i'm going to put that behind me and i'm going to pick myself up dust myself off and i'm going to move on and i'm going to try and Mm -hmm. live in the wholeness that god wants for us rather than perseverating we have this sort of idea that sexual sins are somehow marring and damaging to you for the rest of your life and you know god is a god of freedom uh, and god is a god of forgiveness and god is a god of redemption i think we can say okay this was a mistake. We all agree it was a mistake. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's try and have healthy ways of looking at sexuality from this point forward. Yeah. And she says, you know, does this mean it's going to develop a porn habit? Usually the, the way that things get their tentacles into us is when it's done in secret. Mm-hmm. So the more we're making this not a secret, the more we're making it something that it can talk about, it loses its power. Yeah. And so I think that's a really good point. Now, let's move on to a, another reader question, which kind of relates mm, in okay. a way. So here is another mom and she is writing in... I have a nine-year-old girl who looks up YouTube videos of animals mating. I believe she became intrigued by this by reading books about horses that had chapters about breeding them. Her screen time is normally properly monitored, but if she's using my phone to listen to podcasts, she might arrange to be alone and look up some videos. I have been wanting to scold her for an interest in something that is a science topic and is natural for people and animals, but I think she is drawn to it too much and it may be starting to be a problem. I have told her no videos of animals mating and she agrees and is remorseful, but then she gets caught again. How do I stop this from growing into an unhealthy fascination? That's a good question. My first thought is she's probably just really interested in mating. Well, that's the first thing I thought is, you know, she is nine. She can't understand some of the basics of that at this Mm -hmm. point. And has that been discussed with her? Like, is she looking, is she doing this to look for information she hasn't gotten uh, yet? Um, You know, is that the case? In which case it's have a nice, have a simple talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what the whole story is for. Nine is a great age to start with girls. It, ta- it, it helps you talk to girls about sex and puberty. And then we have a boys version as well. But mm-hmm. now might be a really great time to get that for her because she might honestly just want the information. But I honestly wonder, like, is, I mean, not to you want your kids watching mating videos, but watching two animals mate is not like, it's not x-rated like it's just kind of like there was this time we were in the zoo remember this oh yeah (laughs) yeah the macaques yeah rebecca was six rebecca was six and these the the macaques were it was the spring or whatever time of the year boy were they going at it and she kept going look they're playing horsey they're playing horsey and we just left it at that. We just left it at that because she was six. But, you know, later on when But they, they were, were curious older, about it. They were very curious yeah, about it. Yeah. Because it's funny. You don't see animals doing things like and that. And I mean, so. heck, we had bunnies doing it in our backyard yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, but so it is natural for kids to be interested in that sort of thing. It may not necessarily be a sexual thing. It may be just an obsession. Yeah. Like, um, you know, sometimes kids get obsessed with you know thomas the tank engine and it's like for a month and a half all they talk about is thomas the tank engine like right. we don't worry they're going to be an addict to thomas the tank engine when they grow up it's just a phase they're going through so sometimes these things are just phases that kids go through and you, you sort of like just like write it out i do think it's a little concerning that, that she's agreed not to but she still sneaks it um, yeah. and i do think that 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 you know if this is a persistent ongoing problem if it's interfering with her life if it's causing in her feelings she's not happy with you know then it may be worth 
you yeah. know, exploring that and talking with somebody, you know, who's got, who has some experience with kids yeah. uh, and counseling and stuff like that. I'm not saying that she, this kid needs counseling, but I'm saying that if it's an ongoing thing, yeah. if you ever have a, a behavior that you think is not like necessarily a huge red flag behavior, but it's obviously causing your child discomfort, you know, talking to a pediatrician or a counselor or something like that yeah. who has experience with kids w- is a reasonable thing to do. But I also just want to state, I, I really don't think we should be portraying watching videos of animals mating as a sin, which I'm a little oh, yeah, worried yeah. the mom's doing here because yeah. it is just animals and, and sex should not, like reproduction should not be seen as a sin. It might be a really yeah. good opportunity, honestly, to just talk to your kid yeah. about reproduction. I, I'm saying that you should get some help in the same way that if they consistently want to keep watching lions destroying zebras. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, yeah, that's distressing to them and they keep doing yeah. it. Why is that happening sort of thing? Yeah. Rather than because it's a, a sexual thing. Yeah. 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 Okay, last question. This isn't a long one. A okay. woman just says, I'm really interested in a way to help my husband stay involved in intentionally parenting our teen boys. Yeah, yeah I think that's the really, really important. Okay, as a, as a pediatrician, I would say that for sure. Like, uh, as young men are developing... Uh, and learning what it means to be a man, they really need their dads involved and, and, and guys need to be involved. I, I totally support that. So I think sometimes guys feel like um, they don't feel equipped to do it. But I would encourage you if you're a man out there, you know, y- you are equipped. You know, mm-hmm. God's put this young man in your life to raise and to teach him what it means to grow up as a Christian man. And he will equip you and he will give you the, the things you do to say. Be honest with him. Learn. Read more. <laughs> uh, yeah. Be open. But do do step up to the plate and, and do that. I think it makes such a huge difference. I am so grateful for the amazing role models of men that I had in my life growing up. Um, so make sure you give that to your sons as well. Yeah. And as a, as a wife, I would say spend as much family time as you can. Yeah. Even if, even if your husband doesn't have a lot of one-on-one time with your sons, if you have like a weekly board game night. All of you together. If you do hikes as a family. If your house becomes the hangout house for their friends and you do family dinners, yeah. then your husband's going to end up talking to your boys naturally and yep. so that that can be important but the other thing is you know you can't make your husband have a relationship with your sons if he doesn't like it's mm-hmm. it, I, we do need to encourage our men to do that but that's not on her to to make him have that relationship yeah it's ultimately his responsibility yeah so yeah talk to him about it make it as easy as possible within the family but then realize like even if your husband doesn't have a strong relationship with your sons you can have a strong relationship mm-hmm. with your sons and don't don't spend so much time mourning the fact that your husband doesn't that you forget that you can do it too, mm. I would say. Sure. All right. And as we are wrapping up the podcast for this week, I have a happy thing to share. I have a happy review because people oh, have told me, you know, we want you to share more happy things. Good. So here is a happy thing. A woman said, a friend sent me your podcast about Ravi Zacharias and it sent me on a trail through your other podcasts. By the time I finished a number and I listened to no- podcast number 87 about duty sex, I ordered the great sex rescue. Before the book even came, I realized that my messed up views on sex had been holding me back from enjoying the wonderful sex life that my husband and I are supposed to have. I realized that I saw sex as a duty, something that I needed to say yes to for my husband's sake, rather than something I could choose for myself. I've gone from counting the days because I know he'll want it eventually (laughs) to counting the days until he can enjoy it again. He's been such a patient husband for so long. I'm so glad to finally understand how to fix what's been holding us back from our best sex life now. 
We're just barely into the second chapter of the book, but already loving the freedom that your podcast discussions have opened up to us. Oh, it's so great. That's so wonderful. Yeah. And that's just, I, I love that. I love that so many couples are reading it together too and discussing it and <sighs> finding it so validating yes. and freeing. Because God made this. It's a good mm-hmm. thing. And why mm-hmm. is it that it's attached with such shame and yeah. difficulty? Because yeah. of the messaging we've put around it. And so we um, could get better messaging. And, and it's amazing how... This is what I want people to understand is sometimes all it takes is a mind shift. Yeah. Like if you have been stuck for years and years and years, sometimes all it takes is a mind shift yeah. and then everything clicks. And then great thing, as we've been talking about parenting this whole podcast, is that we can raise our kids with that proper mindset so mm-hmm. they don't have to go through Start this. Off healthy. Yeah. And we can change the story for the next generation. So just a reminder, if you have read The Great Sex Rescue, please review it on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you got it. Rate it, review it, even just rate it if you don't want to write a review, but that helps us tremendously. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please rate the podcast as well on iTunes, wherever you listen to it, because that helps other people find it too. So thank you for tuning in. Um, Next week, we're going to have a really exciting one. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger are coming on to talk about their book. Yes, A Church Called Tav, which was amazing. All about what goodness culture looks like and how we can misuse Matthew 18. So that's going to be a great conversation. And of course, on the blog, we're talking about all kinds of fun stuff including sex in Victorian times. (laughs) So join us there and we will be back here next Thursday for another Bear Marriage Podcast. See you then.